Keeping up on Seattle-area politics is tough. Who has time to sit through a three-hour council meeting and figure out which decisions will affect you most? Please vote aye. 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 Well, what if getting caught up on current events was as simple as getting a cup of coffee with some City Hall insiders who know which stories are hot and which are not? Welcome to Seattle News, Views, and Brews. And thanks for joining us on Seattle News, Views, and Brews, where you get a double shot of local politics in every episode. I'm Brian Callanan. I'm a public affairs host for the Seattle Channel. The views here are my own. And with me is Kevin Schofield, the founder, the writer, the chief awesomeness officer, I believe, of Seattle City Council Insight. Congrats on that promotion, by the way. Oh, thank you for that. Yes, yeah, and thanks for being here. Uh, Thanks also to City Grind Espresso. That is our background noise sponsor. Yes, that is a thing. Now, we thought about doing this in a cafe. Didn't work out because it's just so darn loud in there. So we do have a background noise sponsor. You know this as the coffee stand on the first floor of City Hall. Big thanks to John Streeter and his crew for helping us out with that. So let's get started with Right Here, Right Now. Okay, so in this part of the program, we are talking about what's in front of our local lawmakers right now as they start off the new year. And Kevin, we have four brand new council members. So this situation of having four incumbent council members not running again, this has only happened once before in Seattle's history. So I really do think the first order of business is figuring out who this group is, how they're going to work together, what sort of city council are we going to have? Well, so that's a really interesting question. And of the nine city council positions, five are going to stay the same come January. Mm -hmm. Councilmember Herbold in District 1, Sawant in District 3, Juarez in District 5, and Mosqueda and Gonzalez, who hold the two citywide positions. Eight and nine, right. Right. There's no reason to expect that any of those five are going to diverge from the path that they've been on for a while. So Mm -hmm. we expect at least a majority of the council is going to be about the same as it's been so far. Yeah. But then we have four new council members. Right. Tammy Morales in District 2. Alex Peterson in four, Dan Strauss in six, and Andrew Lewis in District 7. So the first thing you notice is that this is a much younger group than their predecessors. In fact, Lewis at 29 is most likely the youngest person ever to serve as a city council member. Yeah, big part of this. Now, as far as their political leanings, well, it's certainly safe to say that Morales will lean farther left than her predecessor, Bruce Harrell. But the other three, Peterson, Strauss, and Lewis, I think it's a bit hard to say. The positions that each of them ran on is a bit of a mixed bag. Both Peterson and Strauss have worked as staff members for council members before. Right, right. So they're intimately familiar with how the council works, the good, the bad, the ugly, Mm -hmm. all of that. Yep. Lewis, for his part, has been working in the city attorney's office, so he's not entirely unfamiliar with City Hall, although he'll have some work to do to get up to speed. But again, for three of the four new council members... Predicting their votes isn't as straightforward as people might want it to be. There's a lot of wishful thinking going on out there about exactly how they're going to vote, given that they were probably the left, the more left of the two candidates uh, for for you know some of the positions. Not not Peterson, but for for the other three. Yeah, and I was let me let me jump in on that because six and seven, I think I can see where you're going there with uh, Strauss and with Lewis. But we talk about Alex Peterson. He is one of these candidates, the only chamber-endorsed candidate of those four new council members there. Is that an indicator of some sort, do you think, in terms of where his politics are going to go, the role he's going to play on the council? Uh, it, it potentially is. And, and when you look at uh, his staff that he's hired in his office, right. he's actually hired uh, one gentleman, uh, Toby Thaler, who uh, is 
known for being uh, uh, a member of you know what someone called the NIMBY groups yeah. in Seattle who fought against uh, in, uh, removing uh, single-family uh, residence yeah. uh, zoning. Yep. And so, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. I asked him about that a couple of weeks ago when mm-hmm. he was getting sworn in. And he said that, you know, he's trying to build a diverse set of opinions within his staff. Yeah. But that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean how he's going to vote on things. But we'll just have to see how that plays out so far. Yeah, I know there's a lot of back and forth that's going to be happening there. So let's try to dive into some of these top issues that the council is facing in the new year. What do you have on your list, Kevin? Well, so there are a couple of high-profile bills that were re- recently introduced uh, that the new council is immediately going to need to grasp, grapple with. Okay. First, Councilmember Sawant has proposed a ban on tenant evictions from November 1st to March 31st of every year. Yeah. Now, the argument for this is that a large percentage of tenants evicted in Seattle immediately become homeless. And that's a cruel thing to do to them in the middle of the winter. And now, in fact, yeah, well, it, what are we talking about here? This isn't exactly winter with November 1st in terms of the yeah, timeline. And, that's, and, and it's a very expansive definition yeah. of, of winter that, yeah. that's being used. In fact, you know, there, that's one of several what could argue to be extreme parts of, of the bill that Swan has drafted it so far. And, of course, it could change before yeah. it potentially gets passed. But mm-hmm. five months of the year, including half of autumn and the first couple of weeks of spring, yeah, it's a pretty wide stretch for, for winter. Um, and the bill also disallows evictions for any reason. Right. So if you if a landlord, landlord were to discover somebody uh, running a prostitution ring or sure. dealing drugs out of their apartment, they can't evict them for that wow. during, during yeah. these months. Or yeah. if they don't pay their rent. That's a tough one, too. But that non-payment of rent piece, I really, when you hear from different landlords talking about this, especially some of the smaller landlords, I think this turns into a big problem with them. Let's talk about that piece. Yeah, it potentially could. So, you know, maybe the large-scale landlords mm-hmm. uh, who are managing hundreds of individual units in Seattle right. might be able to weather that. Uh, but for small landlords, maybe somebody who just has one unit and they're re- you know, relying on the monthly income from their yeah. rent to pay their own bills. Right, right, right. Having to go up to five months without having a chance to actually collect that rent could become a real financial issue for those landlords. And right now, as the bill is drafted, there is no exception for that. Right. This is something they're going to be jumping on immediately. And this is a serious issue. I think we've uh, seen seen that study for a couple months ago here about the number of evictions, 3,200 of them ordered across King County in 2017, and more than 85 of the Seattle eviction filings were for non-payment of rent. So really, Council Member Swant trying to respond to that. We'll see how the new council responds to her in terms of that presentation. Let's move on to something else that we've been talking about on the council, at least, for the past couple of months here, even before the elections happened, a clean campaigns bill. This one's really interesting, and the council's going to have to tackle this in January, too. Right. And this is at least in part a response to uh, what happened in our recent city council election here with Amazon and the Chamber of Commerce pouring in a lot of money, but it's also just broader than that, and the enormous amount of PAC money, yeah. uh, independent expenditure money that went into uh, this election from, yeah. you know, from labor organizations as well as from business organizations. Yeah, yeah. And, for, and, for and against. I mean, four yeah, million yeah. dollars worth compared to six hundred yeah. and seventy thousand in twenty fifteen. And this big is growth. And this is all in the larger context of the Citizens United U.S. Yeah. Supreme Court ruling yeah. a few years ago that. Uh, 
that basically removed uh, limits on expenditures from uh, from PACs. Yep, yep, yep. Right. So we'll have to see how that pans out. But yeah. I think that when you look at this, just getting into the details of it, devil's in the details as always, but there's this ban on foreign-influenced corporate contributions, and that's a really loaded statement there. Let's talk about right. that piece. Yeah. So already the law prohibits foreign nationals. Right. So somebody who's a citizen of another of another country unless they're a permanent resident yeah. in the in the United States from making contributions to political committees yep. and, to, and to campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, but foreign influenced. Yeah, that's right. different. So so this is foreign in, and, and actually the laws today also uh, prohibits companies that are foreign owned. So yes. if majority of the stock of a company is is foreign owned, then they are also prohibited from contributing to campaigns. Okay, but there are uh, uh, there are loopholes in there, and they've been exploited a lot. So the foreign nationals can sort of create uh, a local company yeah. and right. and and funnel some money into yep. campaigns for them. Mm-hmm. So this is an attempt to uh, to sort of close that loophole. But the issue around this is really. What do you mean by foreign influence? Yeah, right? right. And there are lots of different definitions that you can pull out for for that. One that um, the the proponents of this bill like uh, pulling out is that somebody who owns one percent of the shares of a public company mm-hmm. uh, under uh, the Security Exchange Commission rules can uh, get a, an item put on the. Um, on the ballot for the annual shareholders meeting of a okay, company, okay, right? and they say, "Well, that shows that you have you have influence." Mm-hmm. And there are some kind of le- less uh, sort of specific claims made about the ability of somebody with a, a small percentage of of shares of a company being able to get the the ear of uh, of the CEO of a company. Yeah, but nevertheless, what they've written into the bill so far says that uh, if a company. Uh, it uh, has uh, 1% of its stock owned by a single foreign national yeah. or 5% owned by a collection of foreign nationals, sure. then it's foreign-influenced and it's prohibited from contributing. Right yeah, that, now, yeah, Here we go. Right. And so Amazon... <laughs> I was going to say right would, off the bat, would, yeah. ...would meet that criteria. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I step back and look and say, Amazon doesn't really feel like a foreign-influenced yeah. company to me. But, but it is. But by the rules that are in this draft, and, yeah. you know, this is it's not a done deal yet. No. So we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. No, and I, I wanted to make sure I pointed out, too, there's another piece to this that deals with labor unions, or does not deal with labor unions, I should say, kind of exempts them in terms of the right. language we're seeing. Right. Originally... At the first, in the first draft that uh, Councilmember Gonzalez uh, proposed for this, it was just sort of implied that they were uh, exempted from this. Mm-hmm. But the latest version has uh, an additional carve out for uh, PACs that don't take uh, uh, don't take large donations from mm-hmm. individuals. Yeah, right? Right. So uh, I think she's done a couple of versions of it. And the latest version says that if they take more than $150 in, in contribution in the individual, then they would be limited to uh, that that pack would uh, not be able to donate more than $5,000 okay. uh, to uh, to another pack yeah, or, yeah, yeah. To, or to, to a uh, campaign. Yeah. To a campaign. Yeah. And so... Um, it's uh, it's turned out to be this uh, this really interesting carve out uh, for unions yeah. and for labor organizations. Yeah, because uh, a, a, a union pack would be you know basically funded by dues yeah, from that right, union. Right, would most likely come in under that limitation. Yeah, yeah. Right? So so unions 
would be able to spend a lot of money. And they did in this last election. Yeah. They didn't spend as much as the corporate PACs true, did. True, And as much as the Chamber of Commerce they did. They were a big part of the District um, 7 race, I know, with were, Andrew they Lewis. Were, they were a big part of several of the races. Yeah, but, yeah. but certainly they had the, the largest spend in, in District 7 yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. So um, they would be exempted yeah. from this. And that's, and that's a, an interesting sort of controversial thing that's in this. Okay. And we'll really and see, per, I think, how the council lies in terms yeah, of and, its politics here. And particularly because... Several of the candidates who just ran in this election, <laughs> not to mention the last one, were strongly supported by labor. Yeah, yeah, right. it's a big piece. There's one more that I wanted to touch on with regard to rent control. Councilmember Sawant has brought this up over the past couple of years. It looks like she wants to bring it back again. Any possibility this is going to go through? I know it's prohibited at the state level, but I know Councilmember Sawant also talks about building a movement quite a bit at the city level. What's happening right. with this one? So, um, Councilmember Sawant has has proposed a bill to introduce rent control that would take effect if and when the state legislature repeals its ban yeah. on rent control. So okay. it wouldn't take effect immediately. Yeah. And she is also she and the other city council members are also pushing Seattle's um, uh, legislators in the state legislature to push again this year. They did two years ago for uh, repealing that ban. Right. It's not clear whether it's going to go anywhere yeah. in the state legislature, but they're going to try again with us. Okay. And so um, the the bill, as Sawant has proposed it, mm-hmm. would um, limit annual rent increases to uh, the rate of consumer inflation right. in the Puget Sound area. Right. And that's an that's a fairly low rate. That's mm-hmm. in the order somewhere between 2 and 3% per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it's below the rate at which uh, construction costs yeah. are right. in- increasing every year. Yep. So it would mean that landlords in just regular construction and maintenance would get farther behind every year that, yeah. th- that this is in place because their cost to maintaining it would be going up faster. Yep, yep. I, I think that's going to be a really interesting litmus test, really, to it see how the, how the political nature of this council will work, out, will work out. So thanks for bringing that up. I want to dive a little bit further into homelessness, a big issue the council's been talking about at the end of 2019. Let's move on to the next segment of our program. Now hear this. Okay, on this part of the show, we're going to play you a few different sound bites from the past week or so to get you caught up. First up, Sally Bagshaw, one of Seattle's four outgoing council members, she says the Regional Homelessness Authority, just established, just approved by the Seattle City Council, isn't exactly what the city or the county wanted, but it's a good start. Let's listen. This is not a perfect plan. Nobody thinks that we have gotten this 100% right, but we do have opportunities within the bylaws, within our master agreement going forward, within the good, smart people who are going to be following after us to make the necessary modifications. Okay, I'm going to counter that with the one no vote on the council regarding approval of the Regional Homelessness Authority. It was a 5-1 vote. Lorena Gonzalez, that one no vote. She's the odds-on favorite, as some people have said, to serve as the council president. We'll see what happens there. But here's where she is laying out her concerns. Politics have already taken a hold in this structure, and that is really saddening to me because I am hopeful that we can address this issue. I think it's our highest calling and duty to address this issue, but I am concerned that the lack of commitment to sign onto a simple letter saying we will work on these issues together um, is is a signal of uh, what's to come. 
All right, Kevin, let's break this down. I think one of the big pieces here, the dollars. Seattle's putting roughly 60% of the money into this new regional homelessness authority, about $73 million or so into this $132 million budget. But Seattle only has 25% of the real vote when it comes to controlling it. It doesn't sound like a few things add up there. What do you think about that? Well, I think that the city council and to some extent the county council really caught in a bind here because on one hand, they really want to put something in place that at some level is insulated from politics and political whims mm-hmm. and can really focus on implementing programs that are evidence-based, that follow national practices, mm-hmm. that are shown to really make a difference in addressing homelessness. But on the other hand, this is an enormous amount of money yeah. that they're putting into this. And voters and their constituents uh, have been telling them that... They want their elected officials to feel like, uh, to be accountable for yeah, this, right? Yeah. And so they have to figure out how to have enough direct control over this so that they can be accountable for the budget mm-hmm. while not creating opportunities to meddle. Yeah, and, and I think that's the big piece of it because originally the way this uh, homelessness authority was set up, the experts, the subject experts, had a much larger role here, and that really changed over the last few weeks as they whittled out this deal. And I think that's the big concern here. The Seattle City Council wants those experts, some of those more progressive voices right. maybe, kind of leading the charge here. And I think there's going to be some kind of clash when we talk about some of the smaller cities yeah. around King County that, that might not share the same ideas. And, and the smaller cities really is the context for this. So yeah. today, the city of Seattle and King County, the two main players who are creating this this uh, authority, new, yeah. new authority, yeah. are, are are in this thing. They what they do today for homelessness is actually different and it's complementary. They've already split up between the two of them who does what, mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit of overlap around creating shelters, but mostly the city of Seattle within the city limits is doing shelters and mm-hmm. funding you know some set of services yep. and King County within the city Seattle city limits is focused on mental health services and substance yep. abuse services. great observation so, yes so they're they're not really overlapping so what putting these two organizations together will hopefully streamline a couple of things but mostly it's just going to create one bigger organization yeah it's not really going to find a lot of efficiencies in places for those duplication because there isn't a lot of duplication yeah now when it, what would really make a bigger difference for this new authority is if they can get a bunch of the smaller cities yeah. in the county involved. Yeah. But they don't necessarily see eye to eye on with Seattle and King County right. on what it means for something to be a best practice yeah. Right? Yeah. or to be evidence-based. Yeah, right? and I think some of the language I've heard Dave up the grove on the county council recently was talking about, hey, we don't want... Seattle to tell us what to do in these smaller cities around uh, King County. I think it's that it's that right. basic basic thought making Seattle a bit of a boogeyman in this, unfortunately. Right. But right. Uh, but I think that's the tension that's going to have to be dealt with. And then just coming back around to Seattle is putting in sixty percent of the money, yeah. but they only have a quarter of the vote. Yeah, yeah. And and that is a nod to try to create something that the smaller cities yeah. would be able would really want to join into. Yeah. That said, though, I know some council members, Council Member O'Brien, who is outgoing, and Council Member Gonzalez, too, brought up this brought up this concept of a, a nuclear option, meaning the city might withhold dollars in a right. situation where maybe one of these smaller cities is doing something that the city of Seattle isn't okay with. Right. So 
the you know from the city of Seattle's point of view, setting up this authority is actually three different agreements, mm. right? There's one which is an, uh, what they call an interlocal agreement. There's a thing they, that they just approved, which just creates the agency, yeah. right? And then there's a separate uh, agreement which says what Seattle is willing to fund it, mm-hmm. and there's a separate agreement that says that's a service agreement that says what this authority is going to provide back yeah. to Seattle. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so what O'Brien has said in particular is the nuclear option yeah. is that the city may decide in the future that they don't want to continue funding this. Yeah, right. That yeah. doesn't make the agency go away. Yeah. But if it doesn't have the funding, if it doesn't get seventy-three million dollars from Seattle, yeah. that's seventy-three million dollars less stuff yeah. it's going to be able to do. And Seattle could always go back and decide to just go it alone again. Yeah. On, on doing that, we will see. And that's going to be a meeting that'll happen in the first part of two thousand twenty. Has about right. ninety days after that signature from the mayor and the county executive on that one. They've, they've got to get the governing board set yeah. up for this authority. They've got to hire a CEO. Yeah, who wants, who wants that job? Any, any ideas uh, on know, that one, Kevin? We'll, we'll see. There, there are folks in the Human Services Department yeah. in Seattle. Yeah. There are folks in the human, in the equivalent department for the King County. Yeah. Or, you know, they may, they may go outside from there. True, true. And that's another piece of it, too, the different jobs and where they fall. I know there are some union protections in there that will keep most of the people that are involved in the county's work on homelessness, the city's work on homelessness, in their place over the next year or so. But... After that, when I hear streamlined, it's definitely one of those situations where I think there have to be some jobs that'll be cut. And and we'll have to see. Again, there isn't a ton of overlap in what the two organizations okay, are fair. doing That's fair. today. Yeah. So once they get in together, there there may be some kind of higher level management positions yeah. that are redundant, that yeah. get reduced. But we'll just have to see. Okay. Thank you very much. Now we're gonna start wrapping up our program with what's next. Okay, so on this part of the program, we are looking forward. Maybe an issue that's not getting as many headlines, something we should be paying closer attention to in the weeks and months to come. Kevin, what do you have on your on your docket here, sir? So the city just filed with uh, a U.S. District Court its assessment of the current police accountability system. Yeah. And this is the, just the latest step in this process of the consent decree over biased policing. That's been going on since department. 2012. Yeah. It's been going on since 2012, and we're trying to get to the end game. They've had this um, sustainment period over the last two years, which is supposed to wrap up in January, mm-hmm. and that part may still wrap up in January. Okay. In fact, I think there's a good chance of this. But this past year, last, last May, Judge James Robart yep. said, uh, as far as police accountability... I find that you're not in compliance with this. And police accountability wasn't a specific item in the consent decree, mm-hmm. but he said, I think it really still relates to uh, faith and trust in the police. Yeah. And that's within my purview here. So yeah. I'm going to find that you're out of compliance and you got to get back into compliance. Right. Told the city of Seattle, you have to come back with... Uh, an assessment yeah. of the police accountability system and a plan for how you're going to get back into compliance with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so they just delivered the assessment. They were supposed to deliver their plan at the same time. They didn't do that. We'll see what Judge Robart thinks about that. Right. Um, the Community Police Commission yes. and the Department of Justice are due first week of January to file their responses to the assessment. Yeah. And the assessment actually for the most part, echoed a lot of the critiques that the Community Police Commission mm-hmm. raised, mm-hmm. with uh, mostly with the, this uh, infamous contract with SPOG, the, the Police, police Officers, Officers Guild. Guild. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a huge piece of that. Yeah. That's coming up real soon, too, and that's, that's part of the mix here in terms of right. dealing with this. Right. Certainly one part of how the city gets back yeah. into compliance is they're going to have to go renegotiate 
um, some terms of that contract. And they've already sort of started the, the, the groundwork for reopening those negotiations yeah. in the spring. Yeah. And that contract, I mean, Spog didn't have a contract with the city for, for several years waiting yeah. for this process to go through. Now we're talking about a, a renegotiation. I just wonder about rank-and-file officers dealing with this. This is, a, this is a difficult thing for the SPD and for Spog to deal with. Yeah, and there's a couple pieces of that. When they didn't have a contract for many, many years, mm-hmm. they didn't get a raise right. for, for about right. five years. They got a raise. Yeah, right? yeah that's true. So, with this so most that, recent part, deal. that part is better. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, there's this ongoing debate about whether the city council supports the police mm. or not. Yep. And when you uh, certainly Councilmember Sawant has, had has, her has been a, the most vocal critic agreed. Of, of the police. And uh, 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 and there are many police officers and many citizens uh, in the in the city of Seattle mm-hmm. who are reading her comments and applying that broadly to the council. Yes, right. There are several other council members who say she doesn't speak for me. True. And and I I support the police and they look to their you know their support of uh, the pay raise for the police of department course. and for uh, increasing the budget for the number of police officers to be hired mm-hmm. as evidence of their support for this. That's true. And I think it's so interesting to see this process play out when you think about it. Mayor Jenny Durkin was actually the U.S. attorney that brought this in front of the city seven plus years ago. I, I think it's fascinating to see her role with it now because I think she really is doing a lot of work behind the scenes when it comes to that contract, when it comes to hammering out this deal. Yeah, I think that's true. It's interesting also to look at the Department of Justice, that right? Is, because uh, whereas under President Obama, mm-hmm. uh, police reform was a big issue in yes. a number of jurisdictions across the nation. Under Trump, not so much. Yeah. And in fact, Judge Robart has questioned the Department of Justice on a couple of different instances about how committed they really are yeah. to holding uh, a, you know, a high bar here and not letting them back off. Yeah, huge, huge story as we get into the new year. Well. Guess what, folks? That is all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us on Seattle News, Views, and Brews. Kevin, as always, great to talk with you. Great to talk with you. All right, great. So next time you want to know what's happening on the local political scene, give us a listen and find out what's brewing. You can reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Until next time. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2020.